If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. How is everybody doing this morning? Ooh, everyone's jumping on. Everyone's all fired up this morning. And I don't blame you because it's going to be a fiery show uh, this morning. We're going to talk a lot about what happened this past week in terms of the Inflation Reduction Act, um, as well as what is going on with the FBI raid, all of that stuff, and my thoughts on it, and why we're in such like a precarious position here in America. Um, I think a lot of people are, are kind of really kind of fired up about what's going on. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you for the reason for being fired up. I think this is really kind of a scary moment in our American history. I think we've really come to a point. Tim Poole kind of said it. We've crossed the Rubicon of, and if you don't understand the reference, it Rubicon has to deal with Caesar and Julius Caesar and what happened after that. Basically, it was there was no turning back after this. Um, but first, a couple announcements. The new uh, product drop this week was don't eat the bugs which is some you know some people were asking me what's the reference to don't eat the bugs they didn't they didn't really quite understand it but if you've been following um what's been going on and a lot of people kind of pushing like nicole kidman has been pushing you know hey bugs are delicious everybody should be uh eating bugs and then you have articles about how eating a pound of you know bugs is somehow the same as eating a steak or something like that, which it's not because they don't contain the same vitamins and minerals. Um, so there's this weird kind of obsession with eating bugs and they want people to eat the bugs. And it's sort of, well, you know what? If the elite want to eat bugs, go eat bugs. That's all I You know, stop telling us to eat bugs. I still want to have a hamburger. I still want to have a steak. Might have a steak today for dinner. In fact, just in honor of the whole don't eat the bugs. So let people know that you don't, you shouldn't eat the bugs. Don't eat the bugs. Don't let them force you to eat the bugs. Um, you know, and they always say, oh, people in other countries eat bugs. Well, you know, if that's their main source of protein, I can guarantee you that that's not their first choice of protein. Um, yeah, someone said we want a noodle shirt. There already is a noodle shirt, but I'm working on a new noodle shirt. Um, I think you guys will like it. It's just uh, I'm kind of tweaking um, really what what I, what kind of design I want for the noodle shirt. But I think you'll like it when I come out with it. I've been working on it all weekend. Haven't found the right artwork that I need for it yet. Um, so, yeah, don't eat the bugs. Stop. You know, there's, there's a difference between like eating chapolines, which is, you know, like a delicacy to as an appetizer if you want to munch on them because they're deep fried or something like that. Um but if that's your main source of protein, don't eat the bugs. Uh, also, tomorrow night, we're going to have Layla from Propaganda Fluent. She's going to be on. We're going to talk a lot about, uh, well, I mean, it's really kind of pertinent right now what's going on with how they're framing, what happened with the FBI raid, what's going on, how the, the media kind of gaslights you. We're going to talk a lot about propaganda and language. And this is something that I've talked about before, specifically with that book that we went over, Don't Eat or Don't Think of an Elephant. Now I'm thinking, Don't Eat the Elephant. Don't Eat an Elephant either. Um, don't Think of an Elephant. Uh, she, uh, she was someone who actually reached out to me and said, Hey, I actually read that book and I got a lot out of it. Um, and she's very good at this. She pays attention to a lot of this stuff. She talks about it on her lives a lot. Uh, a very smart girl. So I'm excited to have her on. We're going to kind of dissect different propaganda how language is used, 
how you can uh, take control of the language, which is really important because propaganda, you know, everyone always thinks it's such a bad thing, like propaganda and this side and the other thing, but language is very powerful, right? Language is very powerful. The left has figured out how to use language. It's, it's no secret that the left has absolutely figured out how to use language to get their goals accomplished and to get people to side with them. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that tomorrow at 8 p.m. We're fixing up some of the technical issues that we had last week. Um, you know, apologies if people were tuning in. It was kind of weird getting through that. Probably need some software and hardware updates and stuff like that. But anyway, enough of the announcements. Let's get into really the crux of what today's episode about is about, which is that the lines have been drawn, right? The lines have been drawn because... We've seen in this past week, probably some of the most harrowing stuff that most Americans didn't think was going to happen. And this is sort of built up to where we are at today. Um, The Build Back Better bill, they're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. It's basically the Build Back Better bill has now been passed. Uh, And a lot of people looked at the numbers and they looked at how eye-popping a lot of these numbers were. $300 billion for... um, $300 $300 billion for climate initiatives, which we all know that it goes to some of these groups that end up donating back to Democrats, um, whatever any of these climate initiatives mean. And then we've seen the $80 billion to go to the IRS. Now, keep in mind, their annual budget is $12 billion, right? And now you're going to say over the next year, 10 years, they're going to get $80 billion. They're going to bring on 87,000 more auditors. And they try and say, oh, this is because we want to go after the rich. Nobody under 400000 is going to see any more audits or anything like that. When in reality, you, there are numbers out there that those who are under 25000 actually get audited the most, five times more than most people. And people over $400,000 are not necessarily going to feel the pain of more auditors. There's a difference. It's who can withstand being audited and who can avoid being audited altogether. And they've determined that the middle class is getting away with a lot of things, right? They've determined that the middle class is the one area that they can really squeeze more pennies out of, that they can squeeze more of the taxes out of. Because those people don't necessarily um, have the means to hire CPAs and tax attorneys and create tax shelters and do all these things to protect their money. There's a bajillion loopholes. Believe me, a good friend of mine who's a tax attorney took a couple of years taking an LLM in tax law. It's super complex to know all this stuff. That's why tax attorneys get paid a lot of money. So if you ever want to be an attorney, tax attorneys make a lot of money. Um, because they learn about all these laws and they learn about how to, well, advise your clients to best avoid paying taxes. So the people who can afford tax attorneys and CPAs, those are the people who are going to get away and they're not going to worry about more of these auditors. But the people who are going and going to H&R Block or going to wherever TurboTax and stuff like that and getting their taxes done, those are the people who are most vulnerable to this. And those are the under 400,000 that's under the 200,000. Those people are most likely going to see more audits and whether or not they are justified, it doesn't matter because a lot of times people get audited and they find out it's not justified. There was nothing wrong. Um, they still have to go through the process and the government doesn't care because they have unlimited amount of resources where they can go after you. You don't have an unlimited amount of resources. So you have to sort of make a determination of do I 
go forward with fighting this or do I just settle? And some people are just going to settle whether it's right or not because they just want to pay them off. And it's sort of like the mafia. It's almost like the mafia in a way where they say, look, you can pay us this money or we're going to put you in prison. Basically, you know, that's basically how it is, is the IRS has all the power. Either you're going to comply with them or you can try and fight them with more attorneys, which again, tax attorneys are very expensive. So you see this bill that has been passed and you go, how is any of this going to help the middle class? Right. Um, And now they've weaponized the IRS to go after people. And it wasn't that long ago that President Obama weaponized the IRS to go after conservative political action committees. And this there is a precedent for whoever is in charge to weaponize the IRS and these federal agencies under the executive branch to go after political opponents. And that's why I think a lot of people are kind of when they see this and they see 87,000 more auditors. I mean, that's a lot of auditors and that's a lot of staff to go after people. And a lot of people look at that and go, that's kind of terrifying for me as someone in the middle of class. Am I going to be audited? Is there a higher chance or a higher probability that I'm going to be audited, that they're going to start squeezing money out of people? Is, is it going to be more that they can squeeze money out of people and go after people that they don't agree with, that there are now all these auditors, basically a bureaucratic army of pencil pushers who can go after you and kind of ruin your life or wipe out your life savings just to make them go away and they can get their pound of flesh and get out. That's why I think a lot of people are terrorized or are really terrified of is this idea that there is now this bureaucratic army of IRS auditors that are going to be coming after more people. There's only one reason why they want to hire more people is because they want to go after more people because they obviously have this in mind. They're not getting enough money out of the American people and that people are cheating. And of course, all the people who are like, oh, well, if you're not a tax cheat, you see this on Twitter, the people who are like sticking their nose up going, oh, well, if I'm, I'm, you know, if you're not a tax cheat, then what are you worried about? You shouldn't be worried about anything. Well, okay. One, either you have a good CPA or tax attorneys who are advising you, and that's great for you that you can afford that. Um, while also, or sometimes people get audited for no reason at all. Some people, they, they, the IRS makes a mistake. They think you need to be audited. And then all of a sudden they turn out the end and go, Oh wait, you didn't do anything wrong, but you spent thousands and thousands of dollars defending this or settling it anyway. Um, so that argument is so, so idiotic to me that, um, oh, well, if you're not a tax cheat, then obviously you shouldn't have anything to worry about. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about this enormous bureaucratic army that all of a sudden is going to start going after more and more people and scrutinizing every single thing that you do and seeing if they can push you to do a little bit more and pay a little bit more because obviously we're, we're, they're not bringing enough, they're, they're not going to bring enough, uh, they're not bringing enough revenue to fund all these projects. Obviously, we're $30 trillion uh, in debt. And uh, yes, I want to say I have an excellent CPA. I do not want to go through an audit. There are good CPAs out there. I will say that. We have a CPA that we work with. They're very affordable. Go find a good CPA. It's like $200, $400 a year. Probably the best kind of help you can go get. So, um, And people who believe in that, the, the statist government is going to protect you or has their that they're infallible. This is always the argument from the left. It's always the argument that 
the the government is infallible they're going to do everything correctly that they're never going to make a mistake and if there's a mistake it's usually on you and it has nothing to do with the uh, agency itself and that's what i can't stand is that the base premise of your argument is well the government's infallible when you give government more power they're going to use that government power for good that's always what they do that's not what they always do that's not what they always do. They always seem to take this power, and then once they have this power, they figure out how to abuse it, and they figure out how to hurt political enemies or political opponents because nobody wants to give up more power. Um, speaking of political enemies, did you know that you could be deemed, and this is why I actually have this mug today, not the normal California Underground mug, which you can get in the store. Um, tidied it up, make it look real pretty, fixed up the logo. So if you want to get a California Underground mug, you can go in my store. Subtle plug there. But you could be deemed a domestic terrorist for drinking out of a mug like this. Correct. Because the Gadsden flag has now been deemed by the FBI as a sign that you might be a domestic terrorist. Okay? So this mug right here that says... Don't tread on me. Bright yellow. Get it from Bass Pro Shops. It's, I mean, Bass Pro Shops has a whole line of don't tread on me stuff. They have coolers. They have all sorts of things. You can get the don't tread on me flag on. But guess what? If you buy that, you might be a domestic terrorist. Or if you get the Betsy Ross flag. Or if you get anything that has to do with the Revolutionary War. Wow. So who is that going to affect? Let's put it this way. Who's that most likely going to affect that they're going to call them domestic terrorists? Uh, conservatives, libertarians, uh, Trump supporters, most likely they're now deeming domestic or most likely they're going to deem domestic terrorists. Um, that's really the plan is that they've now set a line. And this is part of this whole episode today. They've put a line in the sand that we are the good guys. The state is the good guys. We're here to save you. Give us all the power and money. We're here to save you. And those other people talking about liberty and freedom, they're the bad guys. They're the domestic terrorists. Remember January 6th? Let's show you some scary footage of like the one time someone broke a window. Oh, my goodness. Let's show you that footage over and over and over again and show you that these people are the bad people and that we're the good people and that you should always trust us, the big status government, to do the right thing. So now you have the FBI who has deemed mugs like this, just displaying a mug like this, making you a domestic terrorist, which I'm going to take a sip of coffee anyway. Funny enough, I'm also drinking Black Rifle Coffee, Coffee or Die, which has the snake on it. I just realized that. Nice little, nice little connection there. But drinking that mug makes you a domestic terrorist. And now you have the IRS with 87,000 more auditors who have the power to go after people. They can look at your social media. They could look at this video and say, hey, he has a don't tread on me um, mug. He's wearing an American shirt. Guess he's a domestic terrorist. Maybe we should take a look at his uh, taxes. Maybe we should take a look at his business. Maybe we should take a look at everything. Maybe we should make it to the point where he just kind of gives up and goes away and goes away quietly. And that that's one way to do it is to get people uh, to just quietly go away or quietly go along with our agenda. Um, and then obviously the most shocking thing this week that has really drawn a line in the sand is the FBI, FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. Um, when I first heard it, I was stunned that they are raiding. 
Um, and the more this comes out that it had nothing to do with really anything, everyone thought it was January 6th and that Trump was being arrested. And of course, everybody um, believed that this was it. The walls were finally closing in on Donald Trump uh, were not to be true. It had something to do with the National Archives and he wasn't properly storing the National Archives, even though they looked at those boxes a week before. And he said, and they told him, Hey, just put a padlock on this. They came back. There was a padlock on the boxes and they decided for nine hours, we're going to rifle through everything from, uh, your safe, which is secure area. You should need a warrant for that. Um, all your private, uh, items, uh, Melania's wardrobe for some odd reason. So we got some perved up FBI agents who want to go through Melania's clothes, um, whole bunch of things. And now we have the FBI, going after a former president and likely and even more, I would say more likely now after that FBI raid, more likely that he's going to be the 2024 uh, candidate, because if you didn't galvanize him enough already raiding his residence and going through his wife's undergarments, probably is going to piss off that guy. You don't think he's going to get a little angry that you went through all that stuff and he feels like he's going to, he's being targeted and singled out. Um, and if they wanted to galvanize people to get behind Donald Trump, they may have just done exactly that. They may have gotten more people to say, you know what? They really do fear him. They really are scared that he's going to win in 2024. Um, and that we have to get to this guy before he announces he's going to run for president, because if he announces he's going to run for president, then the Biden administration can't really do anything because it'll look improper. I mean, it already looks improper, right? It already looks incredibly improper for them to go after a former president. They've never gone after a former president. And I think Dave Smith said it perfectly. He tweeted out this week, Hey, I'm fine if the FBI wants to go after presidents who committed crimes. Well, then they got a lot of backlog to do because they should be going after Obama. They should be going after George W. Bush. They should be going after Clinton. They should be going after everybody because everybody committed a crime of some sort or another that presidents were just getting away with. But regardless, it's been about seven years. They still haven't found enough stuff to arrest Donald Trump. You don't think they would find the easiest reason to arrest Donald Trump if they had even a shred of evidence. But the scariest thing about this and going back to those people on Twitter who are lauding that, oh, if you're not a tax cheat, then what are you worried about? You shouldn't be worried about any of this stuff. Um, those same people are cheering that the FBI is being used against political opponents. They are absolutely giddy over the fact that he's having his stuff rated, that he is being uh, having his civil rights his constitutional rights violated through prosecutorial misconduct. Um, there is so much kind of celebration and jubilation from people on the left on Twitter. You have Eric Swalwell, who responds to Stephen Crowder when Stephen Crowder says, "This is war, sleep well," meaning that this is war because you've you've thrown you've kind of thrown down the gauntlet. It's the left and the status have thrown down the gauntlet. And what do you think people are going to do? Just going to sit by and not do anything. And you have Eric Swalwell who just laughs. He just goes, ha, 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 ha. This long tweet that says, ha, 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 ha. But when you see representatives laughing about this, taking glee in this, that the fact that Donald Trump had his residence raided by the FBI, when you have people saying it's about time, and this is, this is what needs to be done. 
This is where we're at in a very dangerous part of history, and this is what I'm worried about. Donald Trump is probably already pissed about 2020. I can guarantee he's already, I can guarantee he's pissed. He, not probably, he's absolutely pissed about 2020 and what happened in 2020. If he runs in 2024 and he wins, which he has a good chance based on the polls, and especially if Biden's running, it looks like there's a good chance he could win again. You don't think that Donald Trump is going to go into the federal government scorched earth and just absolutely obliterate these departments um, and absolutely tear down a lot of these apartments. You don't think he's just going to go in and start firing people left and right. I heard something that he wanted to go in and fire tens of thousands of people on day one and just absolutely gut the federal government, at least the executive agency. He wants to absolutely gut it. And you aren't worried that you've created this precedence now of going after former presidents. What happens if Biden loses and Donald Trump gets into office? You don't think the Donald Trump Department of Justice is going to all of a sudden go look at the Biden family connections with China and everything that's going on? He's absolutely going to look at Biden. He's going to look at his son, Hunter. He's going to look at all of this stuff. And people are going to say, well, he's weaponizing the, the DOJ against them and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? They did the same thing to him just this year, two years before. So you've set the precedent. You've set you've thrown down the gauntlet. And here we are. Um, and here we are where we've created this point in. I guess you could say we've crossed the Rubicon. We've crossed the Rubicon. There really is no going back now. And that's the scary part of American history is that the the federal government has declared war on people who disagree with it. They've gotten too powerful. They've gotten too centralized. They've got too much money. They've got too many people. And they believe that they can just get away with anything and everyone's just going to have to deal with it. And that's what's really scary is that they've reached this pinnacle of power where they just don't care. They don't care any ramifications. You're either in the club or you're outside the club. And that's where we're at. And that's why they don't want Donald Trump to win again, because he's not in the club. And if he's outside the club and he comes into the club, he's going to start tearing down parts of the club. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let me take a sip of coffee right now. Woo. So a lot of people are saying, well, then what can we do? Obviously, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is time for revolution. No calls for violence. The last thing you want to do is go to the streets and protest violently because the media is going to spin that up and say, look at these Trump supporters who are upset that they raided their, their presidents. Um, yep. I have COVID no monkey pox. I I'm, don't have uh, yeah. The coffee mug has an extremist symbol. That's what we were just talking about. Um, been sleeping with air conditioning. It's drying me out at night. Anyway, what was I saying? Um, no calls for violence. Obviously, everyone's just got to remain calm. And I'm going to tell you the thing that's going to really work. And I've been advocating it for it for years. And it's not like I'm advocating this. And it's a kooky, crazy idea that people are going to be like, ah, uh, have to unfollow. You're a domestic terrorist. Um, we can all be this whole live. We could start pointing the fingers at who's domestic terrorist based on everything based on what they determine is a domestic terrorism. Um, the trick to pushing back is really 
get involved in your local elections. Why? Because we have given to the federal government way too much power. Too many people have believed and too many people have been sold a bill of goods that the centralized federal government is the way to solve everything. And that is the scariest proposition that the founders themselves probably did not like that the central government was going to solve everything. I think the central government was created to provide some cohesiveness to all the states. If there were some big issues that they wanted to um, solve in terms of defense of the country, all of that. But now we've gotten to a point where everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to send my congressman to Congress and they're going to solve stuff. You know, you have the Congress people who are walking through the streets of Compton or whatever going, hey, look, this is my this is the neighborhood and I'm going to go to Congress and I'm going to fix it. No, you're not. You're going to go to Congress and you're going to vote on federal stuff. You have really no control over what's going on in the streets of Compton. Who does have control of what's going on in the streets of Compton? Uh, your L.A. County supervisors, your city council members, maybe assembly person can help out. But there's local elections and local officials who actually do what they need to do. And more importantly, we have gotten so far away from the intent of this federalism sort of system that the founders created. They created a federalism system so that when the federal government got too powerful, the states could kind of keep it in check. And that's why the founders created this brilliant system of checks and balances, correct? If you look at the Constitution, there are checks and balances everywhere, okay? The federal government doesn't get to decide everything. If, and side note, we're about 15 states away from the Convention of States. We're very close, I think, in my mind, to getting to a Convention of States. If you don't know what the Convention of States is, Article 5 under the Constitution allows for a convention of the states to come together and start proposing constitutional amendment. Best part is that most of these states that are coming together are very conservative, very red, so you can get a lot of these uh, constitutional amendments proposed. The people will still have to vote on it, and, con and, and it'll have to still pass, but either way. There are checks and balances that are in the Constitution for the states and the federal government. They have eroded over the years and specifically around the turn of the 20th century, they have eroded that sort of system. They have eroded that because they've passed things like the 17th Amendment, which, again, gets rid of the state legislators electing senators. If you didn't know that before, the original intent, it was this was the way for over 100 years that the state legislatures would pick the senators. Why? Because they wanted to have the state legislatures have a say in federal government. They would send their representatives from the state legislators and the state legislators would say, hey, this is really important to our state. We're going to send our senators and they're going to advocate on our behalf. And whenever legislation comes up that's going to hurt our state, guess what? Those senators are going to push back on it. That was the way to keep the states involved in the federal government. They cut that out. Now it's direct vote. I've advocated for this a while. You probably heard me go wonky on this and nerd out on the 17th Amendment. Um, but that's one way they did it. The income tax, the Federal Reserve, they've created a consolidation of power. Then after World War II, they created even more of a consolidation of power, made the federal government even more powerful because the federal government used to be a sleepy sort of backwoods town. D.C. was not what it is today 120 years ago. 
it was, sure, it was the seat of central power, but you had all these states who were doing their own things and they had their own sovereignty, really. But that's the point that I'm trying to get at is there was this incredible power of the states. There was this incredible power that the idea was it was going to filter down to the people and that the people would really keep the federal government in check. We've let that go. We've let that go because we believe that, oh, if every four years we show up and vote for a president, that's going to solve everything. That's not going to solve everything. You know, is it a big uh, gesture of where the country is going, what kind of leadership we want? Maybe. Sure. That's what we vote for. We vote because the people say we don't like the direction the country is going in. So we elect this new person who's going to lead us in a different direction. But we've gotten down this path and it's the most destructive of all. And we've all kind of fallen asleep at the wheel where federal government is not supposed to solve everything. And we've got to stop pretending like it does. And they want you to not pay attention to the local stuff. They want you to not pay attention because they think you shouldn't pay attention to what's going on at the local level. Don't worry about what your county supervisor is doing. Don't worry about what your assembly member is doing. Here, look at the pretty shiny object over here in Congress. Look at the fancy ad that we put out. Look at all this stuff. Isn't that great and fantastic? Don't, no, no, no. Don't pay attention to who we're running for governor or for, for sheriff or county supervisor or your local DA. Don't look at the fact that most of these DAs in California that are being propped up by George Soros and those who want to get rid of law and order. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't look at that. Look at the, look at the shiny object over here. Oh, don't you want to run for president? Or don't you want to see who's running for president? Look at, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that 24-7. When in reality, that's where the real power resides. Because the stronger you make your localities and the stronger localities can come together and just basically give the middle finger to the federal government, the more the federal government becomes illegitimate and becomes less of a factor in our daily lives. So that's really what it comes down to, is we just have to stop pretending that the, the federal government is and will be this be all and end all because that's what they want. They want a centralized government where all the power resides with them. They don't want you to have the power to determine your local issues. They want to be able to push everything through federal government. They want to pretend they can solve everything. And they want you to believe that somehow this big status, enormous size government that is $30 trillion in debt is going to come and save the day every single time. But the lines have been drawn. Moral of the story is that the lines have been drawn by this administration, whether they want to admit to it or not, whether Corinne Jean Lapierre, whatever her name is, wants to pretend or her bad acting, pretending they didn't know what when, what happened. Like she gets out there the next day after the FBI Mar-a-Lago raid and she's like, I, I don't even know. What are you guys calling it? Like the the Mar-a-Lago raid? I, I don't even know. I don't I don't know what you're I don't know what you're talking about. Like, of course, you know what they're talking about. What do you not follow the news? It was the top news story for the last 12 hours. But they're, they've they've written They've kind of put the line in the sand. Obviously, Joe Biden's not in control, but they put a line in the sand that we don't like people who don't dis, who don't agree with us, that people that disagree with us. And we're going to come after you, whether it's through the IRS, whether it's through auditors, whether it's the FBI. Because if they can go raid the home of a former president on National Archives stuff, what do you think they're going to do to a person who just drinks coffee out of a don't tread on me mug? 
what do you think they're going to do? They're going to try and push you to just comply and just go along the way it is. I say change things at the local level, protect yourself, insulate yourself. And that's basically where we have to go because the power comes up from the people and the people have really been asleep at the wheel for a long time. So, (coughs) excuse me. With that said, let's get into comments and questions. Um, whew, voice is really scratchy today. I don't know what, what happened. Does it work on the same state level? Can the local city county override what the governor orders? Um, they can. There's this idea of nullification, right? Um, I could always get into nullification one way or the other. Maybe I'll do a show on nullification. It'd be really interesting. Nullification is the idea where a state or a local entity just kind of looks at the government above it in the federalism system and says, no, we're not going to do that, so we're going to nullify it. That's really kind of nullification. Thomas Jefferson was a fan of nullification, where he would say states, if they don't agree with something, just don't enforce it, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing now. Uh, with the two the two government governors that come to mind, first off, were Christy Noem and, and Governor DeSantis. Now, Christy Noem was an OG. She was the original uh, governor who said, look, I'm not going to listen to any of these federal edicts. South Dakota is going to stay wide open. They didn't see people dying in the streets. Um, and that was it. Basically, she nullified what the federal government told her to do. Um, DeSantis does sort of the same thing. If you watch DeSantis, you know that he looks at the federal government and says, nope, that's not what we're doing in Florida, so we're not going to do it. That's nullification. On a more local level, you saw it even here during COVID. You saw, um, what county was it? There was a county that unanimously voted not to listen to anything that Noodle said. They didn't impose a mask mandate. They didn't shut down any of their businesses. There was a small city that did the same exact thing. Um, they did the same thing where they just said, we're not going to do it. El Cajon out here in San Diego County, the mayor, Bill Webb, or is it Bill? It's not, is it Bill Webb? Yeah, I think it's Bill Webb. Um, basically said, look, I'm not going to enforce any of this. And that's how you can really insulate yourself from this stuff is that counties and cities can really just kind of give the middle finger to their states and to the federal government and go, eh, well, we're not going to do it. And then they'll try and obviously, uh, bribe them with losing money but bill wells thank you somebody said bill wells um i thought bill webb is somebody else uh but you can insulate yourself here in california which is kind of shocking i know a lot of people think that um (coughs) i know a lot of people think that uh california just went completely cuckoo and off the rails Uh, but there were a lot of counties and there were a lot of smaller municipalities who said look we're not going to do it. We're not going to enforce it. I believe in the second time around um, Coronado, Richard Bailey here in San Diego, the city of Coronado on the island in San Diego, Richard Bailey came out the next time that they were trying to enforce mass, like the second time around. Uh, and he said, nope, I'm not going to enforce it. I'm not going to make Coronado police enforce it. Nobody's going to enforce it. We're not listening to it. So that's how your local communities can really push back. And they don't want you to kind of get involved in that because the more people are at the local level who can give the middle finger to the federal government, um, then they really can't do anything. 
they really don't have as much power. But the problem is people kind of keep looking at the federal government, thinking that they're congressperson or that they're, I, I don't know, their congressperson or their senator are going to magically fix things. And any person, anybody running for Congress or anything like that who says that they're going to fix things here locally, which is a local issue, when they go to the federal government, they're either one or two things. Either they're lying to you to get their vote or they're promising that they're going to get more pork out of the federal government, which you shouldn't be voting for more pork anyway. Um, so that's when people say like, oh, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to you know bring all that. I'm going to fix the homelessness here in California. OK, well, then why are you running for Congress? Run for governor, run for state assembly, right? run for state senate. Those are the things that you can really make an impact. Otherwise, you're just kind of selling us a bill of goods. But yeah, uh, it can happen. And we saw examples of what it means when you start to nullify what the federal government is doing. And that's why I think we're really at a dark precipice or a scary precipice right now. And yet people like Tim Pool are saying we're at civil war. You've heard the Libertarian Party talk about. Um, a national divorce. They've been talking a lot about that. That's sort of what they've been, you know, that's a new phrase they've been throwing out there. I don't know if it's new, but it's something that they've been talking a lot about um, that we need a national divorce, that states really just need to get away from the federal government and start their own federal government um, or not even have a federal government at all. Maybe they just say we're going to be our own thing. Um, it's because of stuff like this. It is really because of stuff like this. And they just say, look, we're going to, we're not going to listen to you and we're not going to abide by you. So we're going to go do our own thing. So who makes those decisions locally? County board of directors, school boards? Well, it depends. You know, countywide issues, county supervisors, school boards have to do with what goes on with your school. Um, so people who are really upset about what's going on in their particular school run for school board, you know, run for school board. Uh, it's definitely a position that is attainable. It's definitely winnable. If you do your play your cards right, you could definitely win and you can definitely be on school board and you would have a direct say. Um, yes, LNC, national chair, Angela McArdle. She's a fan of national divorce. I see her say that a lot on Twitter. Um, but that's how these people really have power school board. If anything going on with the schools, go to your school board, county issues. You go to your county, anything in your city, um, go to your city council. A lot of these cities are run by city councils and a mayor and city councils have a lot of power. Um, I support Camille's idea, which is withdraw kids from public school and bankrupt them. Yeah. Until we really kind of topple public education and make it kind of crippled. Not nothing's going to really, you know, nothing's really going to change with public education. Well, national divorce would be tricky without any sort of struggle. And you know that they're going to, uh, they're not going to let states go away, go away quietly. You know, they're not going to just let Texas leave the union because they need Texas. The federal government needs Texas. Uh, they're not going to let a lot of other states just all of a sudden start leaving the union because otherwise you're not as powerful, you know? Um, it does make it a little bit scarier that if those red states do leave, then you lose that representation. And all of a sudden, before you know it, if all those states are leaving in the federal government that you're left with, like California is going to be all Democrats, that's kind of scary. Um, but you know, something needs to happen. And, but my, my suggestion is it has to be on the local level and that's where, where things change. Um, Texas can leave the union legally. It's in their constitution. 
Um, I've heard that before. I've never actually seen whether or not, because I think that was part of their deal, the, the Republic of Texas to join the union was that they, if they ever wanted to leave, they could. Um, I think they should split California up. California might be too big for its own britches um, or try and fix California. So who knows? Uh, what else you guys got? What is going on? <coughs> Do you think... Now, uh, after this FBI raid, um, do you think it's more likely that it's even more likely that Donald Trump runs in 2024? Do you think it's more likely and then just DeSantis will stay in Florida, continuing being a badass government? Uh, Any union can leave, but not without a fight. I'm paraphrasing a Ulysses S. Grant quote. Agreed on splitting California. California does have so much potential, which is why I really started this podcast and this show. Is because I believe there still is a lot of potential here in California. Um, it, you know, they always like to brag we're the seventh, whatever, largest economy in the world. Cool. I think it's that way despite what California does. Um, and I think it could be even higher up if it actually did, if it actually realized its potential. Um, and there's only so much you can continue to really stifle the people here in California before, as we've seen, people are leaving in droves by the millions to get out of California and go other places. Sorry to those other states where everyone is leaving to like Idaho and Arizona and Nevada. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential left in California. I think there's a lot of potential and maybe California is really where a change in politics and a way of thinking about politics is changed. And that kind of filters to the rest of the country. We need to get rid of the top two, seriously, and go back to equal representation on the ballot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one way to fix it. But, I mean, the real issue is that a lot of times, you know, the there's no opposition party in the state of California. That's really it. The Democrats run everything. There's no opposition party. Um, and... The GOP here, as hard as they want to work and as much as people say, you know, everyone's doing a good job over there. The truth is there is no opposition party in the state of California. There just isn't. There's nobody who can stand up to the Democratic Party. And until more people start to organize and create an opposition party, um, then there's there's nothing really that you can do. You have to kind of organize and get more independence over to one side or the other. So just changing the top two two tier system is not really going to, I mean, it will help because you're going to guarantee you're going to get a Republican. It doesn't change the fact that that, (coughs) that that district might be overwhelmingly, um, overwhelmingly Democrat because you have to change the voter registration. Um, so yeah. Um, that, that's the bottom line. You could have equal representation and have, one Democrat and one Republican run in every California race. But if the race is, you know, 70, 30 in favor of Democrats, it doesn't really change anything. You really have to change really the voters themselves. And that, that comes from having an actual opposition party that's worth um, paying attention to. So, but there's possibilities. I think there's still a possibility. You know, I think there's there's changing demographics. Uh, I think the Latino vote going more conservative can definitely help kind of swing California. Um, 
I think there's a lot of things. I think there's a lot of potential, and I think a lot of people just need to organize and focus on better solutions, not just saying we're not Democrats. That's what always frustrates me about Republicans in, in California is a lot of times they just kind of always point to how bad Democrats are. And you go, okay, well, what are you going to do for me? Um, and most of the time they just go, well, I'm, uh, I'm not that guy. And you go, cool. Doesn't really change. I'm, I'm not going to vote for someone who just says I'm not that guy. Um, so you have to create solutions. So, and California Republicans are just not, the, they're just not creating solutions. They're just constantly complaining about whatever noodle says. Um, what do you think of New York mayor threatening Abbott to send buses to vote? Uh, well, it's funny because they, he sent them to New York and now New York is complaining, um, that they don't want them because they can't handle them. But I guess it's fine to just leave them in Texas. I guess that's, that's his argument is that we don't want them here in New York because it's a drain on our resources. But so I guess it's Texas's problem because they're on the border. They should just accept it and do anything with it. Um, it's funny because it's kind of proving their hypocrisy. They're proving the point, which is, well, yeah, I mean, it's a drain on resources, you know, and uh, not to mention Dave Smith again. He had a whole great podcast about uh, the open border argument and, and all that. And just go listen to it if you can. Uh, someone said, uh, where does the Cal Publican stand? Are you working forward? Yeah, actually, things are happening with the Cal Publican thing. Um, and we're going to we're going to kind of uh, we're, we're moving forward on the Cal Publican thing. So don't worry about that. Um, but we're moving forward. I can tell you that right now. And uh, as soon as there's more news, we'll definitely let you know what's going on. Um, uh, Excuse me. What is the name of the podcast you just talked about? Oh, Dave Smith, part of the problem. Um, He's a libertarian, but he's a Mises caucus guy. Um, he had a really interesting, you know, I think his argument and the way he phrases his libertarian kind of stance on, because a lot of libertarians are very like, well, it's open borders. Let's just, you know, we should just believe in open borders. And Dave Smith is, is very good at saying, well, we can't have open borders because, um, we can't have open borders because right now we have a welfare state and with this welfare state and the way it's going, you're forcing taxpayers, which is an involuntary uh, transaction. And the idea is you shouldn't be forcing people to do, um, he, you shouldn't be forcing people to engage in involuntary actions and, and, and involuntary transactions. And if you're forcing people to subsidize those who are coming across the border in an open border sort of society, then you're kind of taking their property. Um, one argument I've heard, which is, you know, if you want to have open borders, then you got to get rid of welfare, make it a true capitalist society. People want to come here and they want to be of use and they want to be part of, uh, they want to be part of our economy and they want to make themselves useful. Great. They can come and do that. Um, but you know, just allowing open borders for welfare. So, uh, yeah, Dave Smith's not an open border guy. And he, he pointed out how it's funny that because he's not open border, the extreme argument is, well, then I guess you don't want any immigration, you racist. And that's, we live in such a binary world. 
and I think he's he's right about this. We live in such a binary world where people think if I don't agree with one thing, I must agree with the extreme of the other. If you be, if you don't believe we should have open borders, then I guess that means you're this racist who doesn't want anybody to come. No, I think there should be if you're going to have a welfare state and you're going to get allow people to have access to it and taxpayers who are funding it and funding public public roads, public parks, public schools, uh, footing the bill for the ER and all that stuff, um, then there should be some limits. So, uh, yeah, he does have a great nuanced stance worth listening. Um, he had a debate, I believe it was with Spike Cohen um, about it. So I agree with his stance. I agree with his stance that that's the more logical stance. I also like that Dave Smith is like, he's a libertarian, but also he knows that like, you're not always going to get the utopian libertarian idea past like, sure. Would he love like complete like anarcho capitalism? Sure. That's his great. But if your choice is uh, a more restrictive border to protect and like, make sure we're not a drain on society or open borders, well, then he's going to go with the lesser, which is uh, more restriction. You have to listen to it. He does a better job of explaining his point than I do. Um, But he's a very good podcast, Dave Smith, part of the problem. Very good. Um, And he's not a typical libertarian, I guess you would say. He's not a lullabatarian who's just all about philosophy. Anyway, we kind of got off track about Dave Smith. Um, Great podcaster and all that stuff. Any more questions we got about? Questions, comments, chiming in. What are people pissed off about? Um, obviously, the FBI raid. Um, what what happened with Donald Trump? I think it absolutely means he's going to run again. Um, you and Steak for Breakfast should be a combo podcast. <laughs> you and Steak for Breakfast. Right. Um, steak and eggs for breakfast. That's an aggressive breakfast. I always feel like if you're starting the day with steak, you better have a hell of a day planned if you're starting the day with steak. Because I always look at, like, to me, steak is always the end of the day. You had, you had a good day at work. It's a hard day at work. End with steak. Reward yourself with steak, which I think I'm going to do today. I think I'm pretty convinced I'm going to have steak today. Don't eat the bugs. Uh, and thank you to someone who did just add the don't eat the bugs tea to their uh, wish list. I saw that. Thank you for doing that. Um, it also comes in a different women's tank tops, crop hoodie, all that stuff. So it's not just the t-shirt. If you want to look through the store, there's, there's all these different options. Steak for breakfast is a podcast. It is a podcast. Steak for breakfast. Oh, interesting. Um, I wonder what it's about. Yeah. Don't eat the bugs. Moral of the story. Oh, they're saying team up with them. Got it. Okay. So there's a podcast steak for breakfast and we should team up and do a combo morning podcast. Got it. Okay. I thought he was saying have steak for breakfast and then do this podcast. Um, and thank you again to someone who just added the item steak and bugs. No, no, I think them rating Mar-a-Lago pushed some people over the edge. I wasn't going to vote for him. I am definitely rethinking that now. My reason for not voting for him is because of Julian Assange. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Trump wasn't perfect in his first term. That's for, for dang sure. He wasn't 
he wasn't perfect. There was a lot of things that I disagreed with, a lot of things I wasn't super crazy about. Um, I think there's a lot of things he could have gone farther on. I think he took advantage of the fact that he thought he was a shoe-in for a second term, which is a problem. When you assume that you're going to get a second term, you should never assume you're going to get a second term. Um, don't do that, you know, because you're not guaranteed a second term. So you might as well just act like you only have one term. And he should have known that they were not going, they were going to try everything in their power to make sure he didn't get a second term. Um, and he should have just assumed this is my shot. I have four years to get this done and just do the most stuff I can and not, you know, try and, uh, go easy on everything. I should just go for it. And then the, it's one of those things where the more you do and the more bold you are, you probably end up with more support because people will be like, wow, he's actually really fixing things. It was sort of like Teddy Roosevelt when he first, um, was, brought in when he had to take over for McKinley. He had no mandate. He wasn't voted in by anybody, but he just kind of went in and just said, look, I'm just going to do stuff and I'm going to piss a lot of people off. And here we are. I'm just going to do it. And guess what? He was more loved and he was even more popular and he won in an absolute landslide in the next one. So, um, Trump could have been a little bit more Teddy Roosevelt where he just went in and really bull in a China shop and just kind of did a lot of things to really clean out the federal government and, and do that stuff. Yeah, he needs to audit the Federal Reserve. I'd love to see him audit the Federal Reserve. Um, it's crazy. We had a presidential candidate talking about auditing the Federal Reserve. Never thought I would see that in our lifetime. It only takes someone like Donald Trump to talk about auditing the Federal Reserve. And we had a president. The sad thing is we had a president who on the campaign trail said he wanted to audit the Federal Reserve. Never actually did. So um, he's got to be careful. You know, I hope he understands what he's getting into. If he's gone scorched earth... Deep state's not going to take it laying, laying down. Abolish the Federal Reserve. Yeah, let's do it. We got a lot of things. We got a lot of crusty layers um, going on in the federal government that we need to get rid of. A lot of rot and decay going on in the federal government. <clears throat> With that said, I you know, someone asked me the other day, they said, would you, would you want Donald Trump to run again? And I was like, well... Look, if it's Trump or DeSantis, I'll likely support him because, you know, at that point, what, you know, what are my choices? Either Biden runs again or, or Noodles is going to run for president or Kamala is going to run for president. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to support any of those candidates. So, um, but yeah, but I, I think it's interesting. Better you start by auditing, exposing all their shadiness, and get the public support to abolish it. People are asleep to the Federal Reserve. Yeah. I think it's important you want to lay that out. I, I think a lot of these governments should go through an audit. Um, it was something that John Cox brought up in the governor's race that he he proposed to do with, if he won the recall. Um, was that he wanted to do a uh god i can't remember it now is it is it like a by means or or means tested audit where you uh <clears throat> excuse me where you go through item by item and you go program from program and go is this needed explain to me why it's needed and if not we're going to cut it so california could definitely use that that's for sure I'd rather have DeSantis, but Trump has the numbers, and I'll take it at this point. Yeah, I mean, no, you're never going to get a perfect candidate. You know, you're never going to get the perfect candidate who um, is going to accomplish all of your goals. You know, but 
But then again, look at it, you know, we're coming back to what I was talking about is the lesson of this show in particular. One president is not going to be perfect and is not going to solve everything, right? They may help a lot at the federal government, but in reality, we should stop idolizing the president and we should stop putting the president on some sort of pedestal whereby someone like we think they're going to be king and they're going to just decree everything and solve everything. They're not like we saw what happened with Trump four years came and went in the blink of an eye. You know, the last year I think was really a wash. I would say it's like three years because um, COVID really kind of hampered his final year. He wasn't able to do anything. It was just COVID 24 seven in his final year. Um, and then he tried to run in campaign and people were like, Oh my God, how dare you run for, and look at all these people. Um, but we got to get past this. We got to get past this idolization of one person who's going to run for president and pretend that's going to solve all of our issues. It really is. You know, it really does come down to if you want things fixed on the local level, if you want someone to push back on the federal government, you're going to have to start getting involved in the local stuff. And it requires paying attention to your local stuff and does require researching your local stuff and does require getting to know who those candidates are, which is one goal of the podcast that I do. We, you know, we do it every Thursday night. We try to have guests on um, as many candidates as possible to let people know that these people are running and they have real goals and real solutions of what they want to do when they're elected to assembly, when they're elected to supervisors. They want to let people know this is what I want to do. And, you know, it's not sexy. Maybe it's not sexy to a lot of people because it's not national national politics. And national politics is always the sexy thing. Um, but in reality, that's the stuff that's going to make a difference. That's the stuff you're going to see in your day to day life where you go, huh, this changed. I'm glad we got this person on school board. I'm glad we got this person on county supervisor. I'm glad we did this. Because that changed everything. And ever since then, everything's been way better. Um, or, hey, we noticed we got a new mayor and it's a little bit cleaner in our city. We noticed that there's more police. We noticed that crime is going down. Uh, we noticed the city council is taking more action on this stuff. You know, that's the sort of stuff that you're going to see in your daily day lives. And if they agree with you and they don't agree with the governor or the federal government, they may just say, you know, go pound sand like they did during COVID. So, yeah, we do have to get past this whole idolization of like, well, you know, they're not perfect and whoever I vote for is not going to be perfect. Um, right. Nobody you vote for for president is going to be perfect. It's never going to happen. Um, but you shouldn't be looking at idolizing the president anyway. Maybe the silver lining of Biden running and being president is showing you that the president doesn't have to be is not this godlike figure it can be an inept senile old man and that's just the way it goes like sometimes you get an inept senile demented old man who has no idea what's going on and he's the president of the united states and he's not the first bad president of the united states we've had bad presidents and we've had sort of unable or incapable incompetent presidents before um but it is something to think about that don't idolize focus on your local stuff. So <clears throat> I miss all these comments. Uh, as you said, to figure out the destruction, of the importance of local government. Yep. Concentrate on community. How about Trump DeSantis have Trump deal international issues since. Now nah, I don't like the whole 
I, I don't like the whole Trump DeSantis ticket. I don't like that ticket. I think if Trump's going to run, let Trump run for president. And I think let uh, DeSantis win this year, win his reelection. He gets to be governor for four more years. 2028 comes up. It's another presidential run. He can run then. But I think he does more good setting the example as a governor of a populated, a well-populated state in a very big state and kind of saying, this is how governors should run. I think that's how it should stay um, and set the example. I don't think it makes sense to have him as a vice president because they don't really do as much as you think they do. Uh, 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 um. do, do, do We need to band together. Let them divide us. Local politics. Um, Biden is the modern day Woodrow Wilson, which is funny because Woodrow Wilson in the end of his, his presidency actually was incapable of serving. And then his wife sort of took over. Uh, if you don't know that story, go look it up. You can look it up. The fact that she was Woodrow Wilson's wife. He was bedridden and he, I think he had a stroke and he couldn't speak. He couldn't do anything. He was he was he was bedridden. And so she basically was running the government. Um kind of telling his advisors in his cabinet like what Woodrow Wilson said when it was really what she said. So he was actually the first in common. Really, the 25th, the 25th Amendment should have been used against him. I don't think the 20th was the 25th at that point. Probably. No, actually, no, the 25th was not around at that point because it wasn't even prohibition won't had happened. So, yeah. Not looking for perfect protection, just someone on his kind of who do you think is a good VP for Trump if they allow him to run? I mean, Christy Nome would be great. I love Christy Nome. I think she would be a fantastic choice. She's well spoken, easy on the eyes, female governor. Um, she has the credentials of saying, Look, I didn't lock down when they did the whole COVID thing. Um, which would be interesting because she'd be running on the ticket and bragging or boasting that she didn't shut down, which would be in contrast to when Trump was in president in 2020. Um, so yeah, it, it would be interesting, but I, I like Christy Nome. I think she'd be great VP. I think she needs to be put on a national platform. Um, so I don't know if she can run again or if she's termed out or something like that, but I think, uh, Christy Nome would be great. Waste of resources and VP. Yeah. Keep, um, Keep DeSantis as governor of Florida. You know, don't don't waste him as VP. Either he runs for president or stays VP or stays governor of of Florida. No one would be a good VP, but I also like her as governor. I do too. Um, and uh, I I don't know if she's termed out or not. I don't know. I have, if she's done or like maybe she's coming up on being done. I like her as governor too. I think she should stay as governor. Um, so. I think she has a legitimate shot to maybe run for president someday. Who knows? I don't know if the timing lines up with Christy Nome to run for president because DeSantis is the clear front runner. He's young. She's kind of younger too. So it'd be interesting. I think a DeSantis Nome ticket would be fantastic. Um, that'd be great. We're still feeling the effects of Wilson. Yeah, we are. Ben Carson VP. Yeah, maybe Ben Carson wouldn't be bad. That's what's happening with Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden's doing her best to keep good old uh, Joey moving. 
Um, prohibition is when our government poisoned its own people. Interesting take. Um, easy on the eyes. Well, I'm saying she's a good looking woman and looks matter. Looks matter in politics. Um, so no, I'm trying to go through the courts to keep pot illegal despite passing by a voter measure really turned me off of her. Mm. Sarah Palin was easy on the eyes too, but she was a hot mess. Yeah. Sarah Palin was not, um, we need a Latino conservative candidate. Yeah, I had thought, <clears throat> um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Maria Salazar down in Florida. I thought she would be a good choice for a VP, uh, but I, there's a lot of stuff she wasn't really conservative on. So, um, And there's a lot of stuff she kind of, I think Tucker exposed her on something, and I kind of it turned me off on her, Maria Salazar. But there's choices. There's absolutely choices. I mean, if, Mer, if Myra Flores wins again, uh, hopefully she wins again. If she wins that district again, she'd be a good VP choice. I don't know if she's old enough to be president though. So we're just, we're, we're speculating now. We're just playing politics, baseball. Um, so there's a lot of choices and I think that's the, the good thing. If you're a Republican is that your bench is a little deeper than the Democrats right now. I, I just don't see that The Democrats have a really deep bench and I, I think they know they don't really have a deep bench. Like, what are they going to They can't go back to Hillary. Hillary's not liked. Um, Bernie Sanders will never win in a general election. He's too far left. Um, Biden is not able to do anything at this point. Um, he can barely put on a jacket at this point. Um, so really, I, I mean, they go down the list. Kamala is not very popular. Uh, noodles, they're going to get noodles to run? Like, I don't think so. Like, noodles can run. And people say, oh, he's, he's attractive, which makes me gag in my mouth. And people are like, oh, he's so hot. I'm like, I'm Gavin Newsom. I'm like, I, okay, gross. Um, so they don't really have that deep of a bench. And, and the people they start to get into, you look at and go, they can't win a general election. Like, Noodles is not going to win a general election. Um. The only reason Kamala got the VP position, she checked the boxes as far as looks and minority, even though she was the worst presidential candidate and can form a sentence to save her life. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, good question. Yeah, Myra wasn't born here. Doesn't that disqualify her? Excellent point. Yeah, I think that might actually disqualify her. Yeah. Mm, damn. Um, Dolly's not going to win. Dolly's not going to win. Dolly, Brian Dolly's not going to win. I, at this point, I think Brian Dolly has basically just accepted the the uh, consolation prize of being nominated as Republican governor or Republican nominee for governor, and that's about it. I, I don't think he's putting up much of a fight. He put out a TikTok somebody sent to me, and I was like, cool, you sent out a TikTok. We're less than three months away from the the race from the election and I haven't seen one ad like most people don't even know that there is a governor's election this year. The people think that the recall was last year. That was it. People don't even know there was a, there's a gubernatorial election going on. Um, if noodles gets presidency, Mexico's about to see a lot more Americans truth. I hear you on that. Uh, I'll be looking up the listings down in Baja be like, uh, okay, so what can we buy in Baja? Uh, Lieutenant Governor of Carolina is a huge conservative. Oh, uh, 
Mark Robinson? Is that who it is? Um, yeah, Noodles isn't going anywhere. I'm sorry. Noodles is not going anywhere. Brian Dolly's not going to beat him. So that's just the Mark Robinson. Yes. Mark Robinson is, is he's, he's a firebrand. If you ever watch any of his videos, that man passionate, that's for sure. I'll cross that border illegally. Mexico oh, owes us one. Um, and the funny thing, a lot of people come across the border are not from Mexico. I've talked about this before. It's not. Everyone always likes to just paint a broad brush and be like, oh, these Mexicans coming across the border. It's not Mexicans. Like, it's a lot of people from um, Guatemala, Ecuador, El Salvador. Like, that's where a lot of these refugees are coming from. Um, it's not Mexicans, right? It's, you know, a lot of Mexicans are getting very upset that they're getting stuck in border towns like Tijuana and that Tijuana is basically saying, we don't have the money or the resources to do anything or help you. So stop coming, like stop coming here and setting up camp. Uh, yeah, they're coming from all over too. like, you know, Ukraine, uh, there was one day we were coming back from Tijuana and we saw probably a handful, maybe 50 to a hundred Ukrainians just hanging out about a hundred yards from the border, just waiting to somehow get across. Um, so it's not, I, I always like to make that distinction. It's not, everyone says it's like Mexico and, and Mexicans. Um, it's not, you know, it's not just Mexico doing that. Yeah. Jorge Ventura is fantastic. Um, he's really great on the ground reporting. Um, he always does really, really good stuff. Always. If you don't follow him, go look, you know, his, his, his name is right up there. Jorge Ventura TV at your Jorge Ventura TV. Um, he does great on the ground reporting. Um, check him out. So, um, it's, but it's not always, it's a lot of other people are coming as well through the border. And I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, if noodles becomes president, we're moving to Mexico. Um, I don't think noodles has a chance of becoming president. I, I think he, he would not win in swing States. He wouldn't win in, win in Arizona. He wouldn't win in Florida. He wouldn't win. I mean, if you look at the, the electoral map and you look at all the swing States and see which States he wouldn't have a chance, he wouldn't win Ohio. Um, you know, would he win North Carolina? Probably not. Like a lot of people just look at California and be like, I don't want what's going on in California to happen here in my state and in the country. So a lot of people will just kind of reject him. So I don't think he has a chance of winning. He's going to run because it's his ego. So anyway, uh, that's it for today. We went a little over because we were chatting about presidents and stuff like that. And um, yeah, tomorrow night we're going to have uh, Layla from Propaganda Fluent. She's going to be on. We're going to talk about all sorts of propaganda language, all that stuff. Um, and how they're trying to and how to kind of cut through propaganda and also, how can we use language to also achieve our own goals, which I think is very important in politics and stuff like this, is that you have to learn how to use language. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a very interesting podcast. Uh, so she's, she's going to be on tomorrow night. Thank you to everyone who picked up the Don't Eat the Bugs t-shirt. Uh, don't eat the bugs. New story. Don't eat the bugs. Um, eat steak instead. Have yourself a nice, juicy marbleized ribeye steak. I'm a big ribeye fan. Um, I don't go for the filet. It's too lean. I, the more marbleization, the better, the more fat in that steak, the better, um, go eat a nice steak. Don't eat the bugs. 
Uh, so yeah, and we do this every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Coffee and California politics. We sit and we chat. And we talk about California politics over coffee. Um, so thanks for everyone who tuned on. I will see you on the next one later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 